Post-production for this episode of Fruit Bowl is sponsored by Spaces, the new chat-based app for queer people to connect over all the things they're passionate about. Join a space and chat about your favorite topics, or create a space of your own and invite your friends, or share it with the larger community. All in a safe, LGBT-friendly environment powered by Hornet. Look for Spaces in the App Store now. Welcome to Getting Fresh with Fruit Bowl. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. In this episode, I will be talking to the creators of the Gayish podcast about their show and how it came about. And then we will listen to a listener submitted story about a first timer at an orgy. This story was submitted via email. And so I asked a friend of mine, Paul, who is also an actor to bring it to life. You might recognize Paul's voice. I interviewed him in season three, episode five. Paul Rosenberg is a writer, singer, actor, and production designer living here in Seattle, Washington. He's also the founder and manager of Rain City Jacks, Seattle's nonprofit jack-off club. You will hear me and the gayish peeps talk more about our experiences at Rain City Jacks. You can learn more about the organization at raincityjacks.org. I will also post all of Paul's social links and some more biography information in the show notes of this episode. I asked the Fruit Bowl members on the Spaces app about their experiences at orgies. The After Dark Fruit Bowl space is for adults only and features more explicit conversations. And the other day, a member described a very sexy orgy scene with some fellow service members one night in an abandoned tent on a military base. So check out Spaces and look for the After Dark Fruit Bowl space and tell us about some of your adventures. I'm producing a listener submission episode coming up and could use just a couple of more submissions. So send me a sexy story via the Spaces app or email, or you can record yourself using your phone's voice memo app and email the file to Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Special thanks to my latest patrons, Eric and Joseph. Currently, we are at 45 patrons who provide $282 per month to help pay for website maintenance, music licenses, and promotional efforts. My goal for this season is to get to $750 a month. This would be enough to pay for an assistant editor and sound mixer to produce at least one episode per month guaranteed, with or without a sponsor. You can learn more at patreon.com slash podcast. Okay, that's enough from me. Now, here's my interview with Gayish. I am here with the creators of the Gayish podcast, Kyle and Mike. Welcome. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Thank you for doing this. Um, I'm a little out of practice when it comes to being a 
a host in studio, but I'll do my best today. Um, Watch out. We may just run away with it. (laughs) I kind of hope you do. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, welcome, everybody. It's so great to have you here. (laughs) No, I don't know. For starters, what was the origin of Gayish? And maybe first, before you describe that, maybe just give listeners an idea of what the format of Gayish is, in case they've never heard it. Yeah. Um, Gayish is a podcast about gay stereotypes. Every week we talk, we pick a different topic, a different stereotype, and we explore it. Uh, usually figure out, is there any truth to it? And what are our personal experiences? So we've talked about things like the hanky code, depression, pirates are surprisingly gay, like just a whole variety of topics that either you would or wouldn't know that have some something gay about them. Weekly show, about an hour and a half-ish, uh, plus or minus, because it's podcasting. And uh, we've only missed a handful of weeks in five years we've been doing the show. So it's weekly. Weekly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That is something I haven't yet figured out how to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your backgrounds? Like, are you both Seattle natives? I grew up in eastern Washington in okay. Yakima County, which is the rural, dry, gun-toting Trump voter part of the state. Yeah. Uh, I moved to Seattle with my ex-wife in 2003. So I've been here almost 20 years. You were um, married at the time when you moved here? No, we, we were just dating when we moved here. And, oh, wow. and then got married here in, in 2004. Okay. And it worked out great and everything's yeah, fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was, that was two spouses ago. Yeah. Okay, right, right, right. <laughs> Do you have a background in radio? Because you have like the perfect radio voice. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I come from a family of bar musicians, so I think that at the very least, a just being in tune with my voice yeah. and how to use it, okay, is for sure in my <laughs> in my background, if not my genetics. Yes. And I also think that being gay like makes you a really good actor. Yeah. <laughs> just unfortunately, unfortunately, but well, but a lot of those skills transfer or whatever. A lot so. of us have were uh, theater. Homos. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Definitely helps with presentation and diction. Yep, I got a letterman's jacket in drama. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And and do you have a day job? Yeah, I work for Salesforce.com. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm in, uh, I was an engineer for 16 years and just moved over to do uh, enablement programs. So I do like new engineer onboarding. I okay. teach them how to do things the Salesforce way. Okay. I was just curious if... if you do have roles outside of gayish. It's not quite quit your job money yeah, yet. Right. Although we're working on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that the goal? Like, would you guys like to do that? I mean, that would be great, but like the, yeah, the, the, it is, it is, it is not in the foreseeable future. Um, I, we love doing this and it's very fulfilling and great, but also like, absolutely not <laughs> like yeah. at a place um so yeah no we both still have uh, day jobs and make our money elsewhere and are lucky enough that we have people that do support us on patreon which helps take it from like not being a net negative to, yeah like right. being yeah and what is your background kyle um i grew up in texas oh. in the suburbs of houston and yeah, moved up here right out of college originally to work for Microsoft as, mm. as many people who moved to Seattle do. And so, yeah, I've been here for 14 years now and known Mike for most of that. Mm-hmm. And were you married to a woman? I have never <laughs> been married to a woman that I'm aware of. So yeah, no, or married at all to, to anyone. <laughs> I'm the closest person I am married to is Mike. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
And maybe I'm curious about what the origin of the pod was like and how it's evolved since then. Like, I know you've you've got a lot of followers and a lot of a big audience. So what's it been like that journey? Well, the podcast started ultimately because Kyle and I have been friends for a really long time. And uh, he started writing and doing some smaller projects on the side. So I would help him like maybe punch up scripts or like I did some voiceover work for a short that he had made. And uh, we just really liked working together and started talking about like, what are some other things that we might be able to do creatively Mm -hmm. together to just as a hobby. And uh, I forget exactly how podcasting came up, but it it was, uh, it was just a conversation we had one night about, Hey, let's try this. The barrier to entry is pretty low, but friends said that they thought that our dynamic was conducive to it. And so we just did, it was so terrible. We, (laughs) got a shitty microphone and put it in the middle of the table yeah. and turned it on and started recording and then like and then episode two we had the microphone but we were recording off of kyle's laptop like we just had no idea what we were doing yeah but uh and then five years later here we are yeah we've like gotten better at the like the quality and knowing a little bit more about what we're doing but from the very beginning we did decide that we wanted to talk about stereotypes and we you know from the very beginning picked a a different stereotype every episode so that's been pretty consistent and then there's some, something about it that i think resonates with people and uh, i think there there are a lot of people that tell us they may not have gay friends either mm. they're not out or they live in a part of the country where they can't you know it's not easy to make friends or for whatever reason mm. um, and it is nice to feel like you have gay friends that you're hanging out with and chatting with and a, and a lot of people will join you know some of our like socials and groups and kind of have a a little community there yeah i mean you guys have a really vibrant discord community and in the spaces app and um about these stereotypes what's been one of your favorites we have several like archetypes or categories of episodes like we try to cover like gay basics sometimes Mm -hmm. right or really straight basics but then there's also this list of just like random ass shit that like sometimes I just let my Tourette's take over and blurt mm-hmm. something out and then we turn it into an episode. And some of those have been surprisingly lucrative. So like pirates, we did an episode about pirates here the other day and man, pirates are gay. <laughs> and, um, I was, mean, was, you're at sea for a really extended amount of time. <laughs> yes. Things yes. are going to happen. Yep. Yep. Mixed testosterone and water and yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> unicorns comes to mind Aww. leprechauns comes to mm-hmm. mind leprechauns like is one that i was like man can we really make a whole episode out of leprechauns <laughs> and it turns out we we can it was, like, it was a lot of stuff yeah one that i really enjoyed researching was uh gaydar because mm. I, I mike and i each have different types of things we like to bring to episodes and i like to bring research i look yeah. up research studies and read them as best i can as a non-academic read them and try to interpret them and gaydar everyone you know yes people of gaydar is real and everyone has an opinion yeah but there are people that study this there's oh, wow. there's there's facts and information out there from studies not just whether you personally believe it's true or not mm-hmm. and both reading all these studies and trying to get to the like the the level of understanding of is it real or not and also there's two gays that have opposing like, researchers that have opposing views about them mm-hmm. so you'll see like the academic form of a bitch fight in like different you know <laughs> this person will release this research study then someone else will release their research 
research study oh, to be wow. like their study's wrong but in an academic way it, it was a very interesting one to look up oh cool yeah i do appreciate that about your show about the research and the factoids sort of aspect of it because uh it keeps me from having to look things up <laughs> um <laughs> that's awesome though about you know providing listening experience for people who come from a variety of different backgrounds. I think that's true of Fruit Bowl too. People can come as people who've been out all their lives or they can listen to it as someone who's not out to anyone and still get something out of the experience. There's, I think both our shows have a mission to demystify the whole queer experience. Um, not that I think Fruit Bowl does that perfectly every time. Maybe it might also make people ask more questions, but that's always healthy. Mm. I have a lot of really boring questions about (laughs) the podcasting universe and getting traction in the world. Like I am definitely envious of your fan base's passion. Like football listeners are remarkably quiet in Mm. comparison. I think it's because I deal with stuff that's really intensely personal and private and stuff that's before maybe we, we come out. That's the bulk of the storytelling. Why do you think that your your listeners are so extroverted and they feel like they really are part of a community and that's so exciting? We've worked really hard yeah, at creating a community. Like we we have active conversations about like the best way to get people plugged in and engaged, keep them in the ecosystem once they've arrived and so I think it's a combination of like the type of person that listens to and enjoys our show, but also we've done a lot of a lot of work to create spaces for those kinds of people to interact with mm-hmm. each other and be in each other's lives, and it's paid off. What do you think is the biggest, the thing that's made the most difference? Is it making the Discord group or? Um, I think from the beginning, the the Facebook group that we started was where a lot of our fan base grew and Mm. we yeah like thought a lot about what's the right place in a uh, private group so people could join and not be out and and not have other people know that they were in that group i Mm -hmm. think was really useful and i think the types of topics we talk about are also conducive to we you know we while we try to look shit up and know shit like we're also just two randos so yeah and anyone can have an opinion on some of the subjects we talk about which i think is a little bit different of of someone sharing their personal experience like that is theirs and i'm not going to say your experience was wrong or bad or you know Mm -hmm. versus if we're talking about hey we think this is the gayest thing we've ever done like people can you know have opinions and thoughts and they could relate to it or not relate to it so I, i think that's one of the I, I think yeah you'd say like if you want people to comment be wrong on the internet say something yeah. wrong on the internet and you'll get the most comments you know we're saying things a lot of which you know people will can have strong opinions about disagree with mm-hmm. um sometimes we're factually wrong you know mm-hmm. a lot of ways people can engage that's interesting you'd say that because um you know my first season i did have co-hosts and we did introduce the main interview and then we talked about it afterwards and I stopped doing it because I was uncomfortable with analyzing a queer person's personal experience Mm. that felt very unnecessarily invasive. Mm. And I thought there was a high potentiality for saying something that might be construed as a criticism or a critique of their lives. So I think because I removed that and now it's very much just a very uh, structured 
scripted pre-written intro that I give and then the the interview starts and you you hardly ever hear from me that is not exactly encouraging of dialogue you know it's more like you are somewhere you're just listening to somebody's life like a documentary so it is less uh collaborative so that might have something to do with it too but you know I really admire what you say about the work because I think it does take work and it takes a lot of intentionality and planning. And I've become better at that lately. I've been working with uh, some people who are helping me now do more outreach and it's been paying off. So, you know, just got to be patient. Yeah. And it is about word of mouth, especially. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially like when you're running your own, anything creative thing, putting anything creative out. Like you're, there's a million more things you can do to promote yourself. Oh God. And there's always something more you can do. You're ne I've, I've never once been like, yeah, I've done, I've done everything that I can think of at this moment. So, but I think one thing that we really make sure or do our best to make sure is the, like the quality of the show. I think that is not, you know, directly a marketing channel, but people will, only listen again if they think there's something quality there or something to the conversation or yeah. the the thing they listen to so you know that's that's a, a foundational item yeah well i'm going to take a cue from your format mm-hmm. and today we are going to talk about a subject that i'm sure a lot of my listeners are interested in um, which is orgies yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> and the reason I chose this is because uh, this season, season four, I've been encouraging uh, listeners to submit personal s- short stories that are experiences or things they've learned. And uh, I got a submission from somebody who wrote out a story. And then I had a friend record it who's a professional voice actor so we're going to listen to that recording now and then we can chat about it great so here we go i was 22 it was the 90s i lived in a mid-sized midwestern city and i had a regular fuck buddy who was in his late 50s this was ideal for me i loved older men and sought them out because to me they were the sexiest available option Because this was the 90s, it was a time before the relatively recent surge of queer interest in dad as a type outside the BDSM community. Guys my own age, in general, were out to date, find a boyfriend, that sort of thing. And I wasn't necessarily disinterested in that, but I had just come out. And what I wanted most was fuck experience with men who knew what they were doing. My fuck buddy... Dan was tall, red-haired, bearded, hairy, and in my memory, pretty lean. I was, and still am, chunky, big all over. So Dan wasn't looking for a twink himself. I don't even think he was really looking for a 22-year-old. It just happened. Dan was a total bottom, an insatiable bottom. And I was at a time in my sexual life when I didn't realize I was allowed to be anything but a top. When you're new to sex and don't know how to go about accepting a cock into your ass with any sort of ease, you default to topping. Later in life, sometime in my 30s, I learned about being versatile from a man who would become my partner. And when you're new to having sex with men, quite often those men will arrive with desires that intersect with your inexperience. 
and Dan's desire was to be fucked. So I fucked him. I'd spend long Saturday afternoons at his house. In retrospect, these were marathons. Thanks to my being the age I was, I was able to go again quickly after the first round, which turned out to be good preparation for what happened at my first sex party at Dan's place. Dan taught me how to be more than just someone who mounts and thrusts. He had devoted his sexual life to the pursuit of being stretched open and spent his weekends helping me hit the spots that made him come. He taught me to listen to the bottom and observe and move with another man's body. He knew I wasn't ready to be opened up, so he taught me to lean into the rudimentary skill that I possessed. And because we had a very specific relationship, sex was everything we did. We didn't hang out or have meals or see movies or sit around and talk. We just had sex and we were both okay with that. Eventually though, he invited me to a party. It was a non-specific invite, a Saturday night and there was no reason given for the party. He was just having friends over. I was actually hoping it would be a sex party because I had no other context for Dan. I was also nervous that it might be a sex party because while I had plenty of fantasies about group sex, I also never experienced it. It turned out to be a sex party, but not immediately. There were about a dozen men there when I arrived, all of them about Dan's age. All of them were still wearing clothes, so I still didn't know what would take place. There was beer waiting in a cooler and snacks on the dining room table. The men were in the living room sitting around and talking. There are different kinds of orgies. The kind you plan for, the kind you hope will turn into that sort of thing, and the kind that take you by surprise. So one man kneeled in front of another who was sitting on the couch and sex began. If they had planned on taking it to that level beforehand, or if their communication was silent glances, I don't know, but they did it, and they got it started. And within about 60 seconds, the other men in the room began taking off their clothes. I went to the kitchen to collect my thoughts and get a glass of water. I had hoped that what was happening would happen, and then when it happened, I had to take a moment and give myself permission. Spontaneity still involves consent, and back in the day, Consent was structured differently among men who had sex with men. Quite often, it involved a series of gestures and somewhat coded behaviors that owed their existence to a time when saying you wanted to fuck another man could bring you a host of extremely negative consequences. So refusing consent back then sometimes involved a brushed away hand or a turned away face. This was obviously remarkably inefficient and open up the scenario to misread signals. But it's what we had. Nobody told me I was going to an orgy. Maybe nobody expected one to happen. But it did. And my choice that night was to come back out of the kitchen with my glass of water and take off my clothes. Enough history. Dicks were being sucked. This was the moment I'd been fantasizing about. A fuck party was taking place. I got to be there for it. I wasn't going to waste the moment. I was in a room full of men twice or three times my age and it was insanely good. To ask for one daddy fuck buddy seemed like a gift at the time. 
to get a dozen in one room, all of them wanting to have sex with me and each other, was short-circuiting my brain. I sat down and let three different men take turns sucking me. Then others moved out of the room and went down the hall to the bedroom with its large king mattress. I followed. One of the men had positioned himself on the edge of the bed on all fours, presenting his ass to the room, and he just waited for a helper. I know now, after a few decades of going to sex parties, that this is a common signal. Someone fuck me, please. But I didn't understand it in that moment, so while my impulse was to go start fucking him, I hung back and let what turned out to be the only other willing top at the party start him off. Had I been invited to make sure that there were at least two men willing to top? To this day, I don't know, because I didn't ask. But again, I was 22 and didn't care. The prospect didn't feel overwhelming. For me, it was the best possible scenario. A problem with group sex in porn. It's often far too neat and tidy. The videos make the error of forgetting that they are group sex, as perfectly bodied people pair up and fuck separately. For me, the object of group sex is the group, where body touches body touches body, where two men are competing to suck your dick and two others are taking care of your mouth. This was the good kind of sex party, a pile of people. 9 p.m. turned to midnight. Some of the guys had accomplished all they needed to and said their goodbyes. Midnight turned to 2 a.m. and second winds took over and more fucking happened. At one point, there were about six of us left, all of us taking turns unloading all over each other one final time. It was a grand finale and people were friendly and smiling. I felt like a king, honestly. And while that was a great feeling, I had fucked six of the men there over the course of the night. I'd learn later in life not to value that feeling too much. It's a seductive feeling, that ego swell. You're a big bad top. And it's fun in the moment if a person is cheering you on and the group energy transports you there. But it's not your identity. Your identity is everything else in your life. So, a brief digression. A public service announcement for tops. You're not special. You may have heard this before, but it bears repeating again and again. You are simply part of the equation. You need the bottom to complete the mission. You both have a hand in creating pleasure, so please remember that topping is a privilege and not an opportunity to flex the innate human potential for being obnoxious. Group sex is not for everyone. Some people like a one-on-one -on -one experience. You'll know that's you if you find yourself overwhelmed or easily distracted by the physical attention of more than one person at a time. If you dive in once and it takes hold of you, you understand its power. You're on a team and everyone is working toward making something cool happen. That night, I felt like I was part of a special project. It didn't feel decadent or less meaningful than one-on-one -on -one intimacy. It's a fun activity with people you like. And if you don't know them before you get fully naked with them, then it's hoped that you'll like them by the time you're done. This orgy, sex party, whatever you'd call it, wasn't planned or unplanned. I think it was hoped for by the attendees, who then decided it would happen. 
The best ones I've learned over the years since are sometimes meticulously planned and sometimes they just happen. Both can go well, both can fail. This one went very well and was a moment when I got to make new friends in the most direct way possible. I got to be initiated into some really enjoyable queer rituals. I got to put in the practice I needed to become the kind of top people remember and ask for again. It helped me figure out that there's no shame in any of it. It's good to feel good, just for its own sake. And finally, another brief digression about bottoms. You make it all happen. Thank you for sitting on my dick. So have either of you been to an orgy? Yes. <laughs> no, I have not. Really? Really. What about a sex club? I mean, I've been to bathhouses before, Yeah, but never like in a group kind of way. Mm -hmm. Like what? you would go to a room, yeah. like a private room. Yeah. yeah. You've been to a Rain City Jacks. That's true. That's, you know, a giant ass room of men masturbating. Which, yeah. Like for my own proclivities that counts as sex and yeah it's not what you think of when you think of an orgy at least not me well let's talk about that because yeah. like i feel like with first times with different things like losing one's virginity i think it does differ with queer people and we all might have a different definition of things so so how would you define an orgy i mean like this story obviously is about an orgy i think a lot of people could describe it as such but, but what do you think is essential for an orgy to happen and not just like a foursome or a threesome like i feel like it for starters like i'm gonna suggest that maybe it needs to be more than four people that's what i was gonna say i fucking hate in porn when you look up orgy videos and it's three people and i'm like yeah. that's not an or i think I, I yeah i think like four maybe def five or more yeah I, uh, for me I think maybe four or more. Let's just say that. Yeah. We'll decide right here, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> what about you? Kyle? Um, yes. I have been to group things and I've had one specifically that very much mirrored this of there's sometimes when you like arrange an orgy and you know, we're inviting people to this orgy where people will like have events or whatever. But there was one that was more like that, that I've been to that was, just a bunch of gay dudes were going to play games and we'll, and it, it ended up turning into that, which was ideal. So games like board games. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done that twice at the beginning of like what then turned into orgy one. We, we like were intentionally there to have sex. So that was just the, the but there was another one. Yeah. We, it was just the one that was more like that experience. It was a bunch of gay dudes went over to a place and we like played games together. Yeah. And it was one of those things where like we we're all hanging out and drinking. And I think people were, in my mind, I was like, this would be so fun and hot if this turned into this. But, the, uh, but I thought that was outlandish. and then, <laughs> But it turned out, I guess, other people were thinking it, too, because it, it went there. Yeah. I love this story because it, it listening to it, because the writer is, is so descriptive, like, I think because he had never been to one, he wasn't sure what would happen. But then what he wanted to happen, just like you said, did happen. And it was awesome but uh yeah i was thinking too about my own personal experiences and, and i've had both scenarios happen where a 
sex event happened spontaneously with what could have otherwise just been a pool party. <laughs> um, this was in LA when I lived in LA. That was super fun. But I feel like the sex parties that happen here with my friends are often very intentional. And you do know before you go that it could most likely turn sexy time. Yeah. And I think that says a lot about Seattle in being a very kinky, positive city mm. what do you guys think i feel like for me like my friend group in seattle is much more open and chill about a party turning into a sexy time i mean seattle and portland are the poly capitals of the world oh really that's what i've heard and I, so that, i believe that yeah it, and i i think that queer people are mainstream enough here that you start to see we're braver and bolder and have more options and there's more um just acceptance a lot less shame or something so it, i don't have any firsthand experience like I, i've never been to an orgy before but it it checks out like your your assessment yeah. checks out somehow although it's interesting you you say like you i don't have like a friend group that i hook up with like okay. i don't have a i know of people that are, that probably do or people that have friends that they also fuck but i don't have that kind of group established here mm. but i could see that happening i could see having that i could see that i could see seattle being a place for that and i think part of you know it's planned in advance i think we're also like full of anxiety and introverts so we need to know ahead of time so we can like <laughs> mentally get ourselves ready oh you mean seattle people seattle yeah. people specifically yeah yes yes but like in la i think maybe the thing that was keeping people holding back from that experience that sort of spontaneous orgy is there was much more conservatism when it came to your image and and mm. what you performed in quasi public space you know like yeah people were a lot more nervous about their image and their sort of reputation although i will say that that one pool party in la that turned into an orgy that was pretty fun yeah and that was among that was with my friends that were a little less worked up about like the whole perception of others and they were very sex positive it's interesting you mentioned the sort of image thing and being conservative about your image i think that that's at least part of my hang up mm. about a lot of things when it comes to sex but mm -hmm. in particular orgies and i think it's also why airports make me horny uh, like travel makes me horny yeah. and it's because the anonymity then means that there's less of an image to be concerned about yeah means you can take more risks or yes. you know be less anxious about it mm -hmm. yeah take more risks take more dicks right yeah right <laughs> yeah uh, that's interesting i think like you guys could do a, an episode about travel sex i feel like that's something that queer people really share and are enthusiastic about <laughs> yeah 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 there, there's definitely something yeah specific about traveling being in a different place being the new person on the apps mm -hmm. like there's a there's a whole thing about being in a different location yeah, yeah. instagram influencers getting naked and in, in airplane bathrooms like that's what yeah that happens all the time my twitter feed is like like just nothing but dicks in airplane bathrooms <laughs> <laughs> what do you think are some rules of orgies first rule of orgies is don't talk about orgies <laughs> no I, <laughs> i mean i imagine there's a certain i i would think that there would be a like what happens here stays here mm -hmm. sort of attitude or presumption yeah l l here we are talking about it right, on right, the right. Podcast episode. <laughs> uh, one of the orgies that 
I was mentioning that we knew it was that that it was intentionally planned, but we still like hung out a little bit, played games before we decided that whoever won apples to apples was the designated bottom. I have never tried so hard at a game of apples to apples. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking won. (laughs) You won. I won. So did that? So I won. That mean that you could choose if you were a top or bottom? No, that meant I I was the well uh, more people bottomed, uh, but I was like the bottom for the group, and then at the end when like one of the dudes was like who wants my load and everyone raised their hand and every- but then someone was like no but kyle won apples to apples <laughs> so i don't know that that's a universal rule of orgies is whoever wins apples to apples gets to be the designated bottom but i enjoyed that rule in our specific event <laughs> well that leads me to this story where he was like i was one of two tops and was i recruited for that role like like i feel like with orgies you do have to have a some kind of distribution you just can't have all bottoms there. Yeah. That's not going to work out. Yeah. Well, that's also part of the, for the definitions, if you have one bottom and all tops, now you're at a gangbang, which I guess mm. gangbang is a subset of orgy, yeah. but it feels yeah. very like a very different kind of event. So very yeah, different. at least two, two of each type mm-hmm. is a uh, man. Verse people must be the best for orgies. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. But, but I think with the orgies, there can be multiple scenes in one space at different places in that space or like they were describing in this story, like going down the hall to the bed and maybe having a little sexy bedroom time. Um, I like that needing there to be a preparation in that sense that there's going to be different areas where people have different experiences. I think that's super important. And that's definitely something you get when you go to a sex club that's already built into the experience. Um, Two out of twelve does seem like a like a bad ratio, right? Like I would <laughs> or a good, want... depending on how you. I mean, he he's true. clearly worked for him. He yeah, got to. <laughs> um, I do think a lot of nonverbal communication for consent is an orgy or or um, a bathhouse. Like I think people I found are generally very respectful, and I think even more vigilant and open to nonverbal cues mm-hmm. and. You know, in an orgy, you don't want to stop and say, like, let's all each define what we're open to and not. And and so, you know, to keep it fun and spontaneous and sexy, but also consensual, you do have to pay a lot of attention to those things. Yes. You need to respect people's signs and know when there's a boundary you might be crossing and, and pulling back. That's that's super important. And and like, I think given that. My preference for group sex is to be among friends in a safe space that Hmm. that we create ourselves. Like, I like bathhouses, but honestly, I've liked them less and less the older I get. Um, Probably because I do have a community where sex is more free and open and we, we are more communal in that sense. So like my need to go to bathhouses has decreased. Although I will say I, I do really like rain city jacks because mm. um, it is such a unique communal experience where there's a certain amount of um, comfort knowing that the activity will only reach a certain plateau and that yeah. it'll just stay there. Um, yeah. I think sometimes with orgies, like people can get, a little too ambitious, <laughs> but that, I don't know. Maybe that's not true. You, you want people who are going to just go there and, and you can choose to either participate or just watch. I like orgies where there's a lot of watching too. Cause like so much of porn is 
so predictable and pre-planned out and not spontaneous and overly sanitized and not full of all of the fun, spontaneous things that people do. I did want to just uh, talk a little bit about how orgies and, and group sex are portrayed in media as compared <laughs> to like the real life version. Cause um, listening to this story, it was interesting cause I had just recently watched a queer independent film at SIF. Hmm. I won't say the name because I actually wasn't too crazy about it, but there was a group sex scene in the movie where it was not consensual. It hmm. was rape basically. Hmm. And there were drugs. It was a very violent scene. And, you know, afterwards they had a Q and a, and I really wanted to kind of call out the director hmm. and writer for portraying queer sex scenes like this, like group sex, because nine times out of 10, it's not going to be that scenario. Hmm. You know, I just thought it was a really unfair and a kind of a stereotypical portrayal of group sex. <laughs> it was funny. Like in the movie, there's, this hustler guy who comes across this leather daddy and his, his leather daddy like lets him stay there with the understanding that he can be his boy, you know? So there's that sort of starting out, which is kind of antiquated and weird already. Um, and then like before the orgy, there's a scene of him like making a macaroni salad. <laughs> sure. And I'm like thinking to myself watching the film, I'm like, okay, this can go one of two directions. Like he can either be making this macaroni salad that's eventually going to be part of the sex act and it's going to be really gross and weird. <laughs> or they could be going down into the dungeon and there could be a whole bunch of leather daddies and a, a buffet laid out <laughs> where they're all just like chatting and eating all their food before the orgy, which would be my preference, <laughs> you know, which would be, which has been my experience with friends orgies, you know, like there's a, certain amount of fun sort of dishing that takes place before you you say hi to your friends you don't just start out fucking you know mm -hmm. you have to kind of ramp up to that <laughs> and of course this movie went to the dark place um. you know and i was just like that's really disappointing to mm -hmm. me you know that you just kind of like went with the most stereotypical scenario that i don't i don't really think reflects what usually happens which is a way more fun time where people are respectful of boundaries and stuff i mean i don't want us to all just recall our most traumatic orgy experience <laughs> i mean i don't i don't really I, I i don't really have one i mean you know there's been times which i've gone to bathhouses and i've i felt a little bit uh pursued by people who i wasn't interested in and it would take a few times mm. to sort of give the clues or the signals that i wasn't interested in maybe i'm being a pollyanna i don't know what what do you guys think um i had a, a bad group sex thing yeah. that not any like too dramatic or outlandish or like any scenario you described i just i there was a guy i was super into he knew i was into him and he one night would like message me on one of the apps and was like hey do you want to hook up do you want to like and so i was like sure i like went to pick him up we i don't know he showed me his work or something we like we're like spending a little bit of time together and then I took him and he was like, is it okay if we go to someone else's place where there are a bunch of guys over? And I was like, awesome, cool. We went there and he ended up then like hooking up with 
this other dude and I like didn't totally feel it was something where we walked into people already having sex and I am very much like in my head self-conscious and like I don't just feel totally natural and like let me join in everyone's into me everything's fine so I was like feeling a little bit uh, uh, like uncomfortable and not included so like I went into a different room and and just hung out with some other dude who we were both just kind of sitting there like not doing anything and then after a little bit I was just like, I'm leaving. Yeah. And then I left. And I, part of me thinks that this dude that messaged me just knew I was into him and just wanted a ride. Maybe mm. like maybe he just <laughs> needed a ride to the place. Oh, dear. And I, I don't I don't know what happened. Or maybe it was just me and I was too in my head and, and self-conscious. But it just didn't it didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a shame. Hmm. Um, I feel like arriving and having some kind of like meet and greet at least you know like <laughs> yeah. like that's another thing I'm, I'm not crazy about with bathhouses it's just the sort of randomness of the participants and not knowing where people are coming from oh i can actually think of one recent scenario this is pre-pandemic where i was at dory alley mm. in in san francisco and for those who don't know dory alley is the more kind of local some would might say it's the more slutty version of mm-hmm. Folsom, which is saying something um, <laughs> in, in San Francisco. And I was at one of the parties the, the night before on Saturday night. They have all these parties before the Sunday street fair. And they're all like hot tickets. And they're, each party has sort of like a demo. So I went to like the hipster one, which is not necessarily my brand. But, you know, it was fun. There was... A frisky room, you know, apart from the dance floor that was basically a dungeon. It was so disgustingly hot. Like, <laughs> I could hardly even, like... Oh, you mean the temperature. It was physically yeah. warm. <laughs> not was physically warm. And I was like, okay, this is strike one for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I need to be comfortable, like, yeah. and not sweating. And then, like, you know, I started to sort of feel out the room and... um I just noticed that like there were a lot of people fucking without protection, Mm -hmm. which is fine. You know, that's your choice. My preference in that kind of situation is to use protection because you don't know who these people are. Um, And I, I, maybe I'm a germaphobe more so than people, but uh, for the first time in my life, I started hooking up with this guy and I asked him if I could, uh, I needed time to put on a condom and he walked away. Oh, wow. He was like, I'm out. Hmm. I'm like, wow. Okay. Hmm. This is like, that's not something I would have expected to have happen, hmm. but it just did, yeah. you know? And, and that's something that people need to be on the same page with too, or you have to kind of go into it knowing what your boundaries are and define them clearly and be prepared to draw a line if you're not comfortable, because like, if you, go farther than you want to, then it's not going to be a very fun experience. You know? Yeah. I think that's a good point. Like knowing and planning ahead of time, like what, what your boundaries are and what you're willing to do because like the heat of the moment could, you know, push you to do things you're not comfortable with. And it's uncomfortable to like, you got to practice saying no to things that just aren't, aren't your scene it's it doesn't feel comfortable right away so like yeah you got to practice doing that and communicating that one thing i've learned too about group sex and and going to bathhouses or or parties is that like i find it's helpful for me to say to myself before i go put myself into any of those situations i just sort of 
remind myself that it's okay if I come away from this experience never having had sex mm. with anybody. Oh, yeah. You know, because like I find that that's a good way to just remind yourself that I do have boundaries and there is a lot to be gained just by watching people have a great time and enjoy themselves. And that in itself is is a worthwhile sort of thing to do. And maybe I'll have some spank material later. Yeah. But um, it's it really helps me when I start to get anxiety about performance or mm. what will or won't happen. I'm just like, you know what? This could just be a fun, sexy, live sex show for me to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I do think there's everyone expects if you're outside of the the gay experience everyone ex- expects that gay men all have orgies all the time and yeah. have sex with all of their friends and um i think it's useful what you're saying like knowing i it's okay to go to a group like an orgy or a group sex scenario and not ever do anything sexual other than watch and it's also okay if you've never been in a place where you've been invited whether you want to or not like i think sometimes we watch we hear these stories or or see you know media with just everyone fucking all the time and think that there's something wrong with us that we've never had that come up or yeah. we we don't want to and that's not going to be everyone's experience it is not that every gay man has been to an orgy and yeah and that's okay if that's not anywhere near your experience mm-hmm. yeah i do wonder like how how do these things come up in conversation i've never been invited to one as i, I that's online i have but I don't really do the anonymous thing much anyway. Like I barely hook up with one person at a time on Grinder, much less like <laughs> I'm hosting an orgy. Do you want to come? Yeah. I just don't know how these like how these things happen, mm-hmm. right? Like, is there wh- where do you find out about orgies? Like, <laughs> I think it really like it. It takes a person you know to know at least three or four friends who he thinks that will likely have a good time together, mm-hmm. and then it just sort of it evolves from there. Like that's how it happened with my personal group here. You know, I have, I have lots of different friend groups here. I kind of float between them, but my sexy group of friends, we we all just sort of know that about ourselves already. So there's always the potential there, but it's not usually very clearly defined unless we're going to someplace like TRC, Mm, you know, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. where that's for people who don't know, it's the queer campground just north of, of Seattle where there are weekends where it's clearly defined that it's going to be a pretty frisky weekend mm-hmm. in the in the woods. Or we've had house rentals for weekends away with, with groups of my sexy time friends. Um, so that, that helps to sort of knowing that there's going to be a weekend where things might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it definitely, you sort of know it when it's proposed i guess what what about you i mean yeah i've had just you know a couple of those experiences so i don't uh, yeah it's uh, and and it's only come up through basically a fuck buddy like even like one of my like the guy that was hosting the more spontaneous one was just someone i had hooked up with and he was having a bunch of guys over who i didn't know and the fact that most of our connection was hooking up Mm -hmm. was like to me that's i think where i was like is this yeah. going to happen is this what this group is and then the other was a, a couple that i was the one that like kind of instigated i was like do you want to like get together and and so the fact again it was a couple that our only relationship was fucking and so you know we kind of planned it based on that yeah but 
yeah, I don't know. There, I'm not like plugged into a more regular or like yeah. I my take is that there are p- people who kind of have these fern groups that it may involve. I think through fuck buddies. I'm also. Which, I don't know that you have fuck buddies. <laughs> and I'm also now curious, like if you have a steady group of people that are your friends and you hang out and sometimes you fuck. Isn't that just a polycule? Like, isn't that like you're not officially dating, but like it kind of looks like a poly situation in a way, right? Yeah, I could see how that could be perceived. I really think of poly groups as being more than just sexually connected. They're emotionally committed to each other. Whereas with friends, it's a little less clearly defined. Wow, so many different levels of it, you know, Mm -hmm. from spontaneous orgies to bathhouses or jack-off clubs to polycules. I feel like it's a very expansive word that can be, mean all those things together. So it's it's fun sometimes to try to define them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys for trying. Yeah. I think we've made some headway here. We'll we'll enter it into the queer lexicon and we'll we'll reach out to the Websters and <laughs> great <laughs> i feel good about it um where can people discover gayish yeah you can search for gayish on any place you listen to your podcast spotify Apple podcast anywhere else um and we have a website gayishpodcast.com awesome and you guys do it weekly do it weekly every thursday we have a different show come out yeah so. that's amazing and you were just on last month that's right yeah. Yes, it was so fun. Yeah. We talked about gay sex. Gay yeah. sex. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look for the episode called Gay Sex. We uh needed a gay sex expert and and <laughs> which and I think here is you are. hilarious that you guys think I'm an expert. I um, mean, you've talked to more people about gay sex than probably most people out there. That's true. And I will say that like usually when I meet people now, I slip into interviewer mode and I start <laughs> to ask really invasive questions. Um but but I do it in a really cute way okay (laughs) as long as you're adorable while you do it (laughs) well thank you guys so much and uh yes if you uh, are listening and want to check it out check out gayishpodcast.com Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Fruitbowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, black people, indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions, a description of the collaborative interview process, and news about future production. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video outtakes from each episode that are not available to the general public. 
or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Episode sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are often suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate us on your podcast platform, or write a review on Apple Podcast. And, of course, you can also follow us, for now, on Twitter at Fruit Bowl Pod and Instagram and TikTok at Fruit Bowl Podcast. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Rebecca M. Davis. This has been a production of Cubed Media, all rights reserved. Thanks for listening. <laughs>